So excited today we're starting a brand new series. It's called Ohana. If we haven't met before, my name's Ashley. I'm the senior pastor here. And I want to give a shout out to our props teams, our discovery team for just everything they do to make these series come alive. Yes. Thank you to our teams. And Ohana, it's Hawaiian for for family. Everybody say family. Family. And if you've seen Lilo and Stitch, has anybody seen that movie? They say Ohana means family, and family means nobody is left behind or forgotten. And while this series isn't about Lilo and Stitch at all, I love what they're saying. When you're part of a family, nobody's left behind, nobody's forgotten. And God says that the church, his house, is a family. We're a family. Families where you find unconditional love, grace, and healing. It's where we do life together. And I'm so glad that we get to be here together in God's house today. Y'all look so good, by the way. I love your lays, really festive. Happy Sunday. We're going to kick it off with Ephesians 2:18. If you have your Bible, you can turn there with me right now. And if not, we're going to put it up on the screen. It says, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles, and that simply means people who aren't Jewish, are no longer strangers and foreigners. Because in the Old Testament, God was only the God of the Jews. He's saying people who aren't Jewish don't have to be strangers to God anymore. He says, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And that's where we're going to be anchored for this series. You are members of God's family. Before Jesus, we were strangers separated from God. We were born as a part of Adam and Eve's family. We were subject to the curse of the fall and sin and death. We were separated from God, our Father, our Creator. We were separated by the God of this world, Satan. Everything bad that ever happened to you at the hands of another person, It was the enemy. He's responsible for all your anger, your fear, your rejection, your guilt, and your shame. But because of Jesus, we get to come to God as our father, as his children, as part of his family. When Jesus walked the earth, there was this time he was talking to some Pharisees. These were people who really didn't like him, really didn't agree with him, uh, were frustrated with him. And he, he said this in John 8, 42. This is pretty harsh. He says, you're from your father, the devil, and all you want to do is please him. He was a killer from the very start. He couldn't stand the truth because there wasn't a shred of truth in him. When the liar speaks, he makes it up out of his lying nature and he fills the world with lies. I arrive on the scene, tell you the plain truth, and you refuse to have a thing to do with me. That's Jesus talking, and he's saying, You guys, when you refuse to receive the freedom that I have for you, you're still under Satan's jurisdiction. He's a horrible father. He's a lying, angry, accusatory father. He abused you. But God, he came to rescue you. He said, I want that man. I want that woman. I love him. I love her. And Satan says, No, 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 no. See, they didn't choose you, God. They didn't trust you. They're separated from you. They're mine. And what God did, he said, you know what? I'll make a deal for them. I will give my son, my one and only perfect son, a part of myself in their place. While we were orphans, 
He gave his son in exchange for our freedom. And that's what he did at the cross. And when we trust in Jesus, our old life is crucified with him. And we're born again into God's family. We're adopted. Come on. And what happens is God is a perfect father. He loves us unconditionally. He protects us. He provides for us. He follows through on every promise. He is so good. His love, it heals us. All the places where we were orphaned, his love heals us. It restores us. And he puts his Holy Spirit in us, a part of himself. And the Spirit, he teaches us who we really are in God's family. We're going to look at Romans 8, verse 15. It says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is. We know who we are, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. The Holy Spirit, he does not make you a slave He reminds you that you are a son, you are a daughter, you are a child of God. Come on, that's good. And because of the Holy Spirit, we can come to God as our father. We can be comfortable in his presence just like children with their dad. I love it. This verse in every translation, they keep Abba, father, because Abba is an affectionate daddy term. Abba, father. He's our good, good Dad, and God's spirit within us, it reminds us of who we are because God is our father. We're his children. In his family, you find rest for your soul. You find joy for your present, healing and freedom from your past. You find hope for your future. In his family, you can never be disowned. You see, back in Jesus' time, if you had biological kids, you could disown them. Your kid messed up. You could be like, you know what? They're not my kid anymore. But your adopted children, you could never disown them. Once they're adopted, once they're chosen, they are always a part of your family. And Jesus says, you did not choose me. I chose you. I chose you. Come on. He chose you, each and every one of you. He chose us. And we simply respond by believing in him. In his family, you're spiritually reparented by God. Maybe you learned some things in your family of origin that aren't really serving you today. You know how we all grow up in our own little family and we're like, wow, I thought everybody did things the way my family did things. But then you go to someone else's house and you're like, whoa, we are unique. In God's family, the Spirit teaches you who you really are. Maybe sometimes you walk around and you still feel guilt, fear, worry. Those are things from when you were an orphan. I want to tell you, you're safe now in the Father's house. If you think about kids who have been adopted out of really tough conditions, you know what I'm talking about, the kids where they didn't have enough food to eat. You hear stories about them eating dinner in a new house with an adopted family and hoarding the food because they're like, I don't trust that this is going to be enough. I don't trust that another meal is coming after this one until they learn they're safe. 
and their new family will keep providing for them. You hear stories about kids who were always stolen from in foster homes. And so when they get to an adoptive family where they're safe, they might hide things in fear that they'll be stolen from. They're learning that they're safe. Or you hear about adopted kids who are afraid of being punished. Maybe they spill milk and they're like, oh no, I'm going to get it now. No, 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 that's not how it is in the Father's house. There is grace in his house. We come into this family with broken mindsets, beliefs about ourselves that we're not enough, beliefs that who we are is determined by what we do. And we're not wrong for thinking those things. We're not bad people for thinking those things. But we were parented incorrectly by the God of this world. We didn't learn who we really are until we trusted in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit confirms that we are God's kids. We pick up beliefs about other people. Maybe that we can't trust them. Can't get too close. Can't let anyone see who we really are. People can't really be this nice. Maybe they have an agenda. We pick up those beliefs. We pick up beliefs about God that he's not good. Sometimes he's good, sometimes he's bad. Beliefs that are wrong. He's always only ever good. In our new family, much of our healing, it happens through relationships. Our relationship with God, our Father, and then he uses people to help heal us. An orphan world, it needs a family, and the church is how God meets that need. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, Christ, God's faithful son, is in complete charge of God's house. And we Christians are God's house. He lives in us. So what happens is we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us individually, but also corporately, together, we are God's house. And we assemble collectively. And the Bible talks about the church. It uses the word, the ecclesia. And that's who each of us are, the called out ones, called out from our homes to gather together, the gathering of God's children. You know, church is not just a place where we go on Sunday. It's our identity in Jesus. We're the church. It's who we are. This is not a place that we go. We go to sports events. We go to Walmart. We go to school, we go to work, we are the church. We're the church. And I think sometimes we don't know that we're the church. We gather together because that's who we are. Who we are determines what we do. In my house, with our family, we never say, are we going to church today? Not because I'm the pastor. But I'm saying our whole married life, we never said that because... We are the church. It's who we are. It's not a place that we go. We're all children of God. We're brothers and sisters in the house. And this verse says, Jesus, he's our big brother. He's in charge of the house. He's the firstborn over all creation, the Bible says. And we're going to look at the first mention of the early church. It's in Acts 2, if you want to turn there with me. And some Bibles have the little heading. It says, the first church. And those who believed Peter were baptized, this is verse 41, about 3,000 in all. They joined with the other believers in regular attendance at the apostles' teaching sessions, at the communion services, at prayer meetings. This is the first church. Peter preached. People believed in the message about Jesus. 
and they were baptized, about 3,000 of them. It's actually the first mega church. God started real big. Go big or go home, right? So it's saying that these people, they trusted Jesus, they were baptized, and then they regularly met together. They went to the apostles' teaching sessions. They went to communion together, which, you know, the teaching session for us, that's Sunday morning. Communion happens on Sundays, sometimes as God leads. It's also available on the first and third Thursday at prayer and worship at 6 p.m. We have communion available there every single time. Um, What else did they do? Uh, They prayed together. They went to the prayer meetings. We have those on Tuesdays at 7 a.m., more than welcome to come. We would love to have you there. And we prayed this morning during Power Up. Every Sunday, 8.15 to 8.30, we pray together. And then we pray at prayer and worship. Uh, Verse 43, a deep sense of awe was on them all, and the apostles did many miracles. I love that. Aren't you just in awe of what God does sometimes? He's amazing. I'm in awe of him. Verse 44, and all the believers met together constantly and shared everything with each other, selling their possessions and dividing with those in need. They worshiped together regularly at the temple each day, which is awesome. We do that once a week. Met in small groups in home for communion and shared their meals with great joy and thankfulness. Praising God, the whole city was favorable to them. Each day, God added to them all who were being saved. That's the early church. That's it, that little baby paragraph there. They had rhythms and they had relationships. And they met corporately like we're doing right now. They're the church. They gathered together because it's who they are. And they also met for small groups. And so the way we do that here at Hope, we call it family nights. And I want to invite you to be a part. The first one for this semester is going to be August 23rd. We're going to put a QR code on the screen for you so you can sign up if you'd like. But basically family night is when we bring our whole family together, talking kids, teens, adults, and the kids are next door. They learn so much together. The teens are in here. We give them the absolute best experience we can. And then uh, the adults are in the gym. And what we do is we sit around at tables and we talk about our lives. And we talk about how God is speaking to us. And we talk about the messages that are coming forth. And we grow together. Family nights. It's a really good time. We're a family full of unconditional love and grace. We're a family. We're messy sometimes. We're honest. We're growing. We're not here to impress each other. We're here to be who God made us to be. The other thing that they did in the early church was that they shared meals together with great joy and thankfulness. And I take that to mean they made friends in the church. They had relationships. They raised their babies together. They did business together. They needed each other. That whole thing is saying they knew they needed to pray together. They needed to cry together. They needed to encourage one another. They needed to celebrate together. And we have the same need. But we ignore it sometimes. Because our culture, it lives a life of loneliness. Especially since COVID. Where we're like, you know what? I don't need anybody. It's just me and God. I don't have to tell anybody what's going on in my life. I'll be okay. I can just figure it out, tough it out, that destroys our mental health. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. 
At the beginning of time, God said, let's create mankind in our image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God three in one, God who was never alone but always in community. He said, let's make people the same way. And he made Adam and he said, oh, it's not good for him to be alone, so I'll make a helper for him, Eve. And God, you know, Adam was alone with God and it still was not enough. He said, no, 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 you need people too. That's the way I created you. And God, he is perfect community, but he is also perfect love. And love needs an object of its affection. He didn't create us because he was lonely. He created us because he is love. Listening to a podcast, reading your Bible, those are really, really good things. By yourself, though, it's not enough. You are created to gather with others. So we come together every Sunday as a family at this house, the church. And I'm so glad that you're here, a part of this family today. You're living out what God says to do. And so we gather together in this place, and we have sort of a family meal together. In John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one coming to me will ever be hungry again. Those believing in me will never thirst. We come together and we eat the bread of life, the living word, Jesus, and the written word. We feed ourselves throughout the week. Yes, that's really important. We get into God's word. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. We want to have a daily fresh relationship with God individually. But then we come together and we have this big family meal on feasting on Jesus, the bread of life. Uh, let's see, 1 Peter 2, 3. It talks about desiring this nourishment from God, desiring his word. It says, desire God's pure word as newborn babies desire milk. You guys ever see a newborn baby? Especially if they're like nursing, you see how they root for milk? And as they grow older, they're like six, seven months old, they're like, give me milk. Where's that milk? You know, and mom and dad will be in public and baby will be like pulling mom's shirt like, no, 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 no. Get you your milk later. That's how he's saying crave God's word. Crave it like those babies who will stop at nothing to get their food. Then you will grow in your salvation. How do we grow? The word. Verse three, certainly you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love our last series, we were on, in the verse in Psalm saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. The way you taste that the Lord is good is through his word. This doesn't necessarily mean read the Bible for hours, ignore your responsibilities, just spend time reading because I said to crave it. No, 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 no. It's saying rest in the reality that God is good. Taste that the Lord is good. As we allow the Holy Spirit to reveal God's goodness, we start to grow in grace. So yes, we spend time in his word, but we also rest in who he is. This verse is talking about how we all start out in our maturity with God as babies, as children, kind of not really knowing what we're doing, right? Children, they're no notoriously fickle. Children... You can rely on them sometimes, sometimes you can't. Uh, children will believe everything that people say to them. Uh, some things that are true, some that are not true, you know. Uh, sometimes we're like that. We believe maybe God's punishing us. Not true. 
Children believe the lies of their old nature more than the truth of their new identity. And we're all childish at times, but as we feed on his word and the living word of who Jesus is, as we rest in him, we grow and we mature and the fruit of the spirit starts to grow in our lives and the Holy Spirit produces fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He produces it as we grow. That doesn't happen through what we do, but we allow him to do his thing. We surrender. We say, I trust you. We overcome anger that we've struggled with. We overcome anxiety that held us back. We learn to forgive. We let go of jealousy or hatred. We let go of our old immaturity. We exchange it for something better in Jesus. We exchange it for who we are as children of God. When I first trusted in Jesus, I had a big problem with perfectionism. Everything had to be completely right. My identity was in my perfectionism. My identity was in my performance. And what happened is I trusted in Jesus. And then I got to know God through his word. And soon I realized, wait a second, he doesn't love me based on my performance. No matter what I do, right or wrong, he loves me because of Jesus. He loves me unconditionally. Jesus was perfect, so I don't have to be. My old identity of perfectionism melted away as I spent time with him. Sometimes we make mistakes along the way, just like all kids do as they mature. Our Father's house is one of unconditional love, healing, and grace. The more we feed on Jesus, the more we grow. Healthy things grow, and they don't just grow, they multiply. And God wants us to grow, to know the truth of who he is, and then to share it in love. In Hebrews 5, Paul's talking to the church. He's given all kinds of different instructions to us in the New Testament. Let's see, where am I? Hebrews 5.11 it's a little tough. He says, I have a lot more to say about this, but it's hard to get it across to you since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourself, yet here I find you, you need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again, starting from square one. Baby's milk, there we go with the milk thing, when you should have been on solid food long ago. Milk is for beginners, inexperienced in God's ways. Solid food is for the mature who have some practice in telling right from wrong. He says, okay, not everybody is gifted to teach, but everyone is qualified to share the grace of Jesus because Jesus, the teacher, lives in you. His spirit teaches you all things. He says to the church, maybe you haven't been listening. You ever find yourself there? Maybe you're not listening right now. Hopefully you are. But seriously, what happens is you sit down in church and worship is over and you're like, oh, this is the first time I sat down all week. This is nice. And then you start thinking about your to-do list. And then you start thinking about your plans after church. And then you start thinking about your vacation. And then you think, did I leave the iron on this morning? Surely I didn't, but maybe I did. And then you think, wow, I'm hungry. What am I having for lunch today? Did I eat breakfast? And it's so easy to get distracted. But that's not you. You know that, right? That's the enemy trying to pick off the word from the soil of your heart. Jesus had a whole parable about this, how seed was spread on some ground and some fell on the path. It didn't make it into the, to the soil. And some, some seed was picked off. 
it didn't make it into the soil. Because the enemy knows if God's word gets into your heart, it will change your life. Or maybe you've been coming to church for other people. It's a nice thing. Maybe you've been coming for your kids. I love that you care about your kids that much. Maybe you've been coming to volunteer because it's the right thing to do. It's time to start feeding on the word of God. If someone asks you, what did God speak to you today? He is always speaking. We're not always listening. If you say, oh, I need to go back and listen again, that's okay. But Paul is talking to you. He's saying, let those who have ears to hear listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. He says, sometimes you're not listening. We choose to listen. Every Sunday we gather together to experience God. And God, he's our father. Jesus is our older brother. He's the bread of life. So he's the brother and he's the meal that we eat. The Holy Spirit is the helper. The word woman comes from helper. So we could kind of look at the Holy Spirit as like the mom of the house. And we're God's kids, all of us together. We're brothers and sisters equal because of Jesus. And I happen to be the sister who serves up the meal. I use the word of God and God's word. It cleanses us. It feeds us. It's what Jesus told Peter to do. He said, if you love me, feed my sheep, prepare the meal. And that's one of my main jobs. But my main, main job is to listen to the Holy Spirit. He's the head of, Jesus is the head of the church. I'm listening to what he has for us. He tells me what kind of food we need in each season. He tells me what his church needs, and I feed and lead. That's my main job. Look at it in Ephesians. This is one of my favorites. Ephesians 4, uh, verse 10. Jesus handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor, teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, there we go again, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. Talking about maturity, he says, Jesus has given gifts to the church. And their job, another translation says, is to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And I have to tell you, the first time I read that verse, probably 15 years ago, I was like, I love this. I love it. I'm an equipper. That's who I am. And I wasn't a pastor yet, but I'm like, I love equipping people. It's so cool. The pastor's job is to equip not to do the ministry. The other day, I heard about our mom from our church. She took donuts and coffee to another mom from our church who was at the hospital with her child. And I was like, that's amazing. I'm honored to be a part of her family. Come on, that's the church. That's ministry. If ministry was my job, there wouldn't be anything left for you to do but come to church and listen. That does not sound fun. Come to church and be like watching a football game, you know. Thousands of people in the stands, like 50,000 people in the stands, 22 guys on the field. Boring. That would be like coming to eat the meal and just leaving all the dishes on the table and not talking to each other. 
the original language of this verse, it translates that the pastor's job is to bring believers into their proper condition, like a physical trainer, training an Olympian for their sport. And it says, whether for the first time or after a lapse, my job is to help you discover who God made you to be and encourage that potential to come out so all of us can fulfill our purposes together. You have life experiences, you have gifts from the Holy Spirit, you have an anointing that people in your life need. At our robotics camp, there was this child on a team and they said, I don't have a mom, I don't have a dad, I live with my grandma, nobody can understand me. And their coach is someone who grew up being raised by their grandma. That's not a coincidence. God puts people in your life who need what you have. It's so cool. People in your life, they don't need me. They don't need me to meet with them. They don't need me to call them. They don't need me to pray for them. Your prayers work the same. Same God who needs you. They need you. Now, according to Ephesians 4, 10 to 11, we just looked at it. Jesus is the one who handed out these gifts. We've talked it before. We've talked it. We've talked <laughs> before about the Holy Spirit and how he hands out gifts to the church. And the Bible says we should eagerly desire these gifts. Gifts like words of knowledge, gifts like healing, gifts like tongues. And the Holy Spirit, he also produces fruit in our lives. We just got done talking about that. But this chapter is talking about gifts that Jesus handed out to his family the church. I'm just one of the gifts that Jesus has for us. I love it. Pastor Robert Morris, he said, you're welcome. I'm a gift to you from Jesus. I'm just one of the gifts though. That's why I bring in other people like Richie. He's an apostle, prophet, evangelist. I'm a pastor, teacher. We don't want to be lacking in anything that God gives to us. And there are people within our church right now who are these gifts, and it's my job to raise them up. Yes, Pastor Dave and I are pastors, but there are other pastors waiting in the wings, waiting to be ordained, waiting for the moment says, that God says, they're ready. They're ready. It's my job to make sure those gifts are developed because the body needs them, and I can't give them. Only Jesus can. But these gifts, they must be received. If you think of our, the church as a family and a house, children must receive their gifts. God, our Father, provides for us. We must receive from Him. I serve up one type of meal, one flavor of meal, because I am one vessel who God created. I love to bring in guest speakers who bring up a little bit of a different flavor of meal because they have different life experiences, but we're all sharing the same word of God. Jesus, the bread of life. I'm not the same as churches down the street. I'm not the same as my peers. I'm a woman, in case you didn't notice. I joined the ranks of women pastors in the Bible, Priscilla, Nympha, Chloe, but if you don't like what I'm cooking, this probably isn't your house, and that's okay. I'm 37. Maybe I'm a little young for you. Jesus was 33. But if I'm too young for you, that's okay. This probably isn't your house. 
Find a church family where you can receive. A family that encourages you in your relationship with Jesus, where you can thrive and contribute to that family unity. One church is nine elephants flavor. You know, it's some Thai food. Another is Butcher Sun Burgers. And another is the Quincy Exchange. All nourishing food, all served up differently. Don't go to Nine Elephants, though, and get mad that they don't have burgers. They're not lying about who they are, okay? We all serve the same bread of life, but different flavors. Maybe you have a Catholic or a Baptist or Episcopalian background. Maybe you don't have a church background at all. That's great. We're non-denominational. We just believe in the Bible. That's it. Spirit-filled, Bible-believing. It's the pastor's job to serve up solid food. We give an account to God, not just for ourselves, but for you. I give an account for all y'all souls. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect, but I am growing. We're all a part of the house. And I want to show you how our pieces all fit together. This is kind of foundational to our series. And let's give it up for these guys bringing it out on stage. Come on. Thank you, gentlemen. You look so Ohana festive. They carried that out way better than I ever could. Okay, so don't read the whole thing at once. It's a lot of things. This is an upside down pyramid. And Jesus is on the bottom. He's the foundation of the church. He's our older brother. And he, he serves everyone. He laid down his life. It's Jesus. He's the head. He's the CEO. He's in charge. And he's with us always. He says, where two or three are gathered, I'm there. He's here. And a lot of how he wants us to run his church is described through his word. And then here's the gifts. Apostle, teacher, pastor, evangelist, prophet. And so for me, I'm the pastor. I'll just put my name right there in case there's any confusion. It's me. I hear from Jesus. But then I also have people who invest in me. So Richie, Pastor Richie, when he comes, he'll be back in December. That's terrible handwriting. Sorry, everyone. He invests in me. And I love it because he's from a different house. Yes, he's part of God's family and God's house, but he's from a different house. And so he doesn't care if I like him or if we like him necessarily. He cares most about what God thinks. You know how I've been uh, bringing my Bible on stage the last month? Y'all thought that was my good idea? It's Richie. He said, Pastor, you need to bring the word of God on stage so that people bring the word of God in their lives. I'm like, that's a great idea. I can't take the credit, but thank you for the feedback. Um, let's see, who else invests in me? Here's my husband over here, Jay. We invest in each other. Um, we see a Christian counselor once a month, and he invests in both of us. Doo -doo -doo. Uh, what else? I have friends like Pastor Hannah. The handwriting's just getting worse. <laughs> we invest in one another 
and I have pastor, other pastor friends as well. But those are all relationships where we care most about what God thinks, and we're accountable to one another. People ask, you know, who are you accountable to? Well, Jesus first. He's the boss. And then other relationships that God has placed in my life. And so then I'm also accountable to our staff. I serve our staff, and they serve me. And I'm accountable to our board of trustees. Um, Let's see, what else did I want to say? In Acts, the Holy Spirit did a lot of the directing, and that's what he does in our church today, too. Uh, You'll see verses over and over, Acts 15, 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden. Over and over they say, the Holy Spirit wanted us to do this, so we did it. The Holy Spirit didn't want us to do this, so we didn't do it. And over the past year, we've added... uh, Tuesday morning prayer and prayer and worship because the Holy Spirit wanted us to do it. We had a family night because he wanted us to do it. Why don't we do other things? Because he hasn't told us to do it. Holy Spirit is the guide. Um, Let's see. The staff, they taste test the food. You know, every week when I write the message, I have some of them who then read it and give me feedback because sometimes things don't come out the way I intend for them to come out. And they're like, no, 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 we'll taste test it and make sure everything's ready to be served up to the brothers and sisters. I love it. Um, And we have systems for accountability within our staff, too. We're never alone with the opposite sex. Um, What else do we do? We're never alone. Sorry, my my mic got shut drawer, and so the cable doesn't like that. Yes. All right. So we're never alone with children. Our our kids staff, they're never alone with minors. Never. Thank you so much, Morgan. Double mics now. Here we go. All right. Um, Other things for our finances. We're doing audit by a third party. Just, again, just lots of levels of accountability and things that make us better as a church. All right. And then there's our servant leadership team. So our staff me, the board, we serve the servant leadership team. This is much trickier with another microphone now. And this is volunteers, this is givers, this is people who are a part of what God is doing. They've realized that they're children of the house, they're sons and daughters, they have ownership in this house, and it's their joy to serve other brothers and sisters. And Jesus is serving everyone. And all these green, we are all equal in the eyes of Christ. The only difference with me is that I'm a gift from Jesus and I have accountability for all of you to Jesus. Um, Oh, something I love about our servant leadership team, this is uh, not only the people that you saw on stage, not only the band, not only production and host, but also our children's team. And so while I'm serving up a meal over here, they're serving up kids meal next door. And it's really delicious and really fun. What they're really doing is forming relationships. They're being role models and mentors to kids. Because you don't shape a kid's faith by teaching them doctrine. Whatever you talk them into, the culture is going to talk them out of. You don't shape their faith by persuading them to have better standards. They're going to give up if they can't measure up. You don't shape a kid's faith by getting them to attend our fun events. They're great, but at some point, compared to culture, 
we'll lose. We shape kids' faith by connecting them to caring adults who are present in their life, who are saying, Holy Spirit lives in me, I will bear much fruit. Taste and see that God is good. People who are spiritual parents to our children. And then we give preference to new believers because, like the Bible says, they're infants and children in Christ. And so when someone comes to church and it's their first time, we're like, hi, I'm a brother and sister in this house. I can show you where to go. I can show you what to do. Welcome to the house. And then all of our jobs are to bear one another's burdens. All of our jobs are to encourage one another. All of our jobs are to remind each other of who we are in Jesus and live according to that. All of our job is to tell other people about Jesus. All of our job is to serve the world and then be launched out to live our lives throughout the week. And then we return to this house on Sunday and we share with each other about our week, just like your family does at dinner each night. This is how God set up the church. No, we don't have a denomination over us. That's not in the Bible. It's fine that people have denominations. I'm not judging other churches. I'm just saying we just go by the Bible. Maybe you're like, where are elders? The word elder, overseer, and pastor are used interchangeably in the New Testament. So this is where the elders are. All right. I, I know that was kind of boring, but that's how God set up the family. We're all a family. And it's so important that every believer is planted in one church, in one family, letting their roots grow down deep. Psalm 92, 13 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. When you are planted, you flourish. We need other people just like Adam did. Because we can be in the word, we can be listening to the Holy Spirit, and we could still not be applying what it says. We could still not be growing. It's meant to be lived in community. Here's our last verse for today. It's Titus 2.1. It says, your job is to speak out on the things that make for solid doctrine. He's talking to Titus the leader of the church. He says, guide older men into lives of temperance, dignity, and wisdom, into healthy faith, love, and endurance. Guide older women into lives of reverence so they end up as neither gossips nor drunks. Don't want to worry about you older ladies drinking too much, (laughs) but models of goodness. By looking at them, the younger women will know how to love their husbands and children. I love that. By looking at them. Not because they're like, let's have a Bible study where I teach you 50 things. No, 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 by looking at them. The younger women will know how to love their husbands and children, be virtuous and pure, keep a good house, be good wives. We don't want anyone looking down on God's message because of their behavior. Also, guide the young men to live disciplined lives. But mostly, show them all this by doing it yourself, incorruptible in your teaching, your words solid and sane. Just by looking at the people of God, other people will know how to live. Just by looking at the people of God, the people that you've been praying for at work and in your family will want to taste and see that God is good. Just by doing life with them, just by being friends. All of us together, we're brothers and sisters. Some of us are older, some of us are younger. Some are new to the family. I remember when I was a newlywed in a church, this really sweet 
older woman took me under her wing. And we prayed together every week. And I would ask her questions about marriage. And she would just teach me. And when Jay and I were going through a rough patch, she gave me great advice. She's like, write scriptures on pieces of paper and put it all over your home. She taught me to pray over my husband. It was so neat. I found out the other week that she watches online. I was like, that's amazing. She's like, I'm in awe of what God is doing. So cool. Hi, Ellen. There's another middle-aged married couple who we went to church with. They let us live with them for a while when our house was being built. Invested in us. Encouraged us. There's another friend who I walked with every day for five years. We're in the same season of life. Those friendships, they all came from the church. And some friendships are in different seasons. But we all need friends who are in your corner, who pray with you, who encourage you, who say, hey, what did you learn on Sunday? Were you listening? What's God speaking to you? I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago, and they said they hadn't had a real friend in three years. They said, you know, I had it for a season, and I didn't think it was possible to actually maintain friendships. And I just thought I needed to go through my life pretending I was okay and just me and God. Church is the best place to make friends on the same journey as you. You don't have to live like that. And at the same time, just a little disclaimer, don't be friends with someone just because they go to church. The church is like a hospital, okay? Some patients are not responding to treatment yet. It's okay. This is real. Use discernment. Not to judge people. Just to recognize some relationships aren't healthy for you or aren't helpful to you. That's okay. Maybe you just don't have chemistry with someone. You don't have to be friends with everyone. It's totally fine. Find people who you enjoy spending time with, who you have things in common with, who challenge you to grow, who celebrate your successes. The other week, someone from our church, they were at Wegmans, and they saw someone wearing a Hope Church shirt, and they're like, hey! You go to my church. Hi, nice to meet you. Who are you? They did not go to our church. They were not filled with the joy of Jesus, okay? Sometimes you could be wearing the jersey of Jesus, and that doesn't mean that you're walking with him. And that's a message for a different day. But how do these relationships happen? They happen in the lobby after each experience, before each experience. I love last Sunday because we had ice cream and such a beautiful thing happened where everybody just stayed after church and was just talking in the breezeway and getting to meet each other's family and their kids. And it was so beautiful. That's the church. You can meet people in here when you're waiting for church to start and it's all quiet and everybody's staring at the screens or staring at their phone. It's a great time to go up to someone and say, hi, I don't think I've met you before. Let's talk. Maybe they work at the same place as you or they're in the same season of life as you. Another opportunity is today. We're having a church church picnic at 2 p.m. at the Pearson's Pond. We'll put the QR code on the screen for you. We ordered food for everyone. It's okay if you didn't register before today. Register now. Say you're going to be there. And it's all right if you have plans after church as well. This is just a great opportunity with no agenda just to build relationships. Go swimming, eat good food, have fun. 
Ohana means family. And family means nobody is left behind or forgotten. You belong here. Maybe you're like, I didn't sign up for the picnic. I don't know if it's for me. It's for you. Maybe you're like, oh, my kids might be crazy. That's okay. You should have heard Ryder running around screaming this morning during worship practice. It's okay. This is a family. We accept each other. We love each other. We encourage each other. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about unity, honor, healthy conflict. We're going to have the teens take over in September. I'm looking forward to that. They're going to be doing the preaching and the worship and everything because they're the church. They're the family too. And just because you're a teenager doesn't mean that you're not mature in the kingdom. Just wait till you hear Lily talk about giving at the end of church today, okay? I know it's vacation season, but if you're in the area, commit to coming every week of this series. And if you miss a week, catch up online. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, that means you still belong here, but you haven't become a part of God's family yet. And it's okay if you haven't made that decision. You can keep coming. But I want to give you the opportunity to trust in Jesus right now. So let's close our eyes. We're going to bow our heads. If you want to become a part of his family, if you want God to adopt you, if you want to receive what Jesus did for you and no longer be an orphan under the jurisdiction of the enemy, he's a terrible father. God is your good father. He gave his son for you. If you want to trust in him today, wherever you're at, nobody's looking around, go ahead and just raise your hand. Put it right up in the air. Once I see it, you can put it right back down. Thank you. Can we celebrate this decision? Let's pray. God, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I receive your salvation. I receive your freedom. I trust you. Thank you that I'm a part of your family. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That means let it be so. Thank you, Jesus. Come on.